Chapter Seven of Inside the Lines by Earl Biggers and Robert Ritchie. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. The Hotel Splendide. Mr. Joseph Almer, proprietor of the Hotel Splendide on Gibraltar's Waterport Street, was alone in his office, busy over his books. The day was August fifth. The night before, the cable had flashed word to General Sir George Crandall, Governor-General of the Rock, that England had hurled herself into the Great War. But that was no concern of Mr. Joseph Almer, except as it affected the hotel business. Admittedly, it did bring complications there. A sleek, well-fed Swiss he was, one whose neutrality was publicly as impervious as the rocky barriers of his homeland a bland eye and a suave professional smile were the ever-present advertisements of urbanity on joseph almer's chubby countenance he spoke with an accent that might have got him into trouble with the english masters of the rock had they not known that certain cantons in switzerland occupy an unfortunate contiguity with germany and almer therefore was hardly to be blamed for an accident of birth from a window of his office he looked out on crooked waterport street where all the world of the Mediterranean shuffled by on shoes, slippers, and bare feet. Just across his desk was the Hotel Splendide's reception room, a sad retreat wherein a superannuated parlour set of worn red plush tried to give the lie to the reflection cast back at it by the dingy gold-framed mirror over the battered fireplace. Gaudy steamship posters and lithographs of the Sphinx, and kindred tourists' delights, were the wall's only decorations. Not even the potted palm, which is the hotel man's cure-all, was there to screen the interior of the office reception room from the curious eyes of the street, just beyond swinging glass doors. Joseph Almer had taken poetic license with the word splendide, but in Gibraltar that is permissible, necessary, in fact. Little there lives up to its reputation, save the rock itself. It was four in the afternoon. The street outside steamed with heat, and the odours that made Gibraltar a lasting memory were at their prime of distillation. The proprietor of the Splendide was nodding over his books. A light footfall on the boards beyond the desk roused him. A girl with two cigar-boxes under her arms slipped, like a shadow, up to the desk. She was dressed in the bright colours of Spain, claret-coloured skirt under a broad Romany sash, and with thin white waist, open at rounded throat. A cheap tortoise-shell comb held her coils of chestnut hair high on her head. Louisa of the Wilhelmstrasse, but not the same Louisa, the sophisticated Louisa of the Café Riche and the Winter Garden. A timid little cigar-maker she was, here in Gibraltar. Louisa! Almer's head bobbed up on a suddenly stiffened neck as he whispered her name. She set her boxes of cigars on the desk, opened them, and as she made gestures to point the worthiness of her wares, she spoke swiftly and in a half-whisper. "'All is as we hoped, Almer. He comes on the Princess Mary. A cablegram from Koch just got through to-day. I wanted—' "'You mean—' Almer thrust his head forward in his eagerness, and his eyes were bright beads. Captain Woodhouse! Our Captain Woodhouse! The girl's voice trembled in exultation. And his number, his Wilhelmstrasse number, is, listen carefully, 1932. 
1932 alma repeated under his breath then aloud on the princess mary you say yes she is already anchored in the straits the tenders are coming ashore he will come here for such were his directions in alexandria louisa started to move toward the street door but you almer stopped her the english are making a round-up of suspects on the rock they will ask questions perhaps arrest me no i think not just because i was away from gibraltar for six weeks and have returned so recently is not enough to rouse suspicion haven't i been josepha the cigar girl to every tommy in the garrison for nearly a year no no senor you are wrong these are the purest cigars made south of madrid indeed senor the girl had suddenly changed her tone to one of professional wheedling for she saw three entering the door almer lifted his voice angrily josepha your mother is substituting with these cigars take them back and tell her if i catch her doing this again it means the cells for her the cigar girl bowed her head in simulated fright sped past the incoming tourists and lost herself in the shifting crowd on the street almer permitted himself to mutter angrily as he turned back to his books you see mother see that hotel-keeper lose his temper and tongue-lash that poor girl just what i tell you these foreigners don't know how to be polite to ladies henry j sherman yes sir of kiwani illinois mopped his bald pink dome and glared truculently at the insulting back of joseph almer mrs sherman the lady of direct impulses who had contrived to stare captain woodhouse out of countenance in the winter garden not long back cast herself despondently on the decrepit lounge and appeared to need little invitation to be precipitated into a crying spell her daughter kitty a winsome little slip stood behind her arms about her mother's neck and her hands stroking the maternal cheeks there there mother everything will come out right kitty vaguely assured mrs sherman determined to have no eye for the cloud's silver lining rocked back and forth on the sofa and gave voice to her woe oh we'll never see kiwani again i know it i know it with everybody pushing and shoving us away from the steamers everybody refusing to cash our cheques and all this fighting going on somewhere up among the belgians the lady from kiwani pulled out the stopper of her grief and the tears came copiously mr sherman who had made an elaborate pretence of studying a steamer guide he found on the table looked up hurriedly and blew his nose loudly in sympathy cheer up mother even if this first trip of ours this grand tower as the guide-books call it has been sorta tough we had one compensation anyway we saw the palace of peace at the hague before the war broke out guess they're leasing it for a skating rink now though how can you joke when we're in such a fix henry you ne never do take things seriously why not joke mother only thing you can do over here you don't have to pay for cheer up there's the saxonia due here from naples some time soon maybe we can horn away up her gangplank consul says mrs sherman looked up from her handkerchief with withering scorn tell me a way we can get aboard any ship without having the money to pay our passage tell me that henry sherman well we've been broke before mother 
her spouse answered cheerily, rocking himself on heels and toes. "'Remember when we were first married and had that little house on Liberty Street, the newest house in Kiwani it was, and we didn't have a hired girl then, mother. But we come out all right, didn't we?' He patted his daughter's shoulder and winked ponderously. "'Come on, girls and boys, we'll go look over those rock chambers the English hollowed out. We can't sit in our room and mope all day.' The gentleman who knew Kiwani was making for the door when Almer, the suave, came out from behind his desk and stopped him with a warning hand. "'I am afraid the gentleman cannot see the famous rock chambers,' he purred. "'This is wartime, since yesterday, you know. Tourists are not allowed in the fortifications.' "'Like to see who'd stop me?' Henry J. Sherman drew himself up to his full five feet seven and frowned at the Swiss. Almer rubbed his hands. "'A soldier, with a gun, most probably, sir.' Mrs. Sherman rose and hurried to her husband's side in alarm. "'Henry, Henry! Don't you go and get arrested again. Remember that last time, the Frenchman at the Bordeaux town?' Sherman allowed discretion to soften his valour. "'Well, anyway,' he turned again to the proprietor, "'they'll let us see that famous signal-tower up on top of the rock.' Mother, they say from that tower up there they can keep tabs on a ship sixty miles away. Fellow down at the consulate was telling me just this morning that's the kingpin of the whole works. Harbour's full of mines and things, electric switch in the signal tower. Press a switch up there, and everything in the harbour, blam! He shot his hands above his head to detonate the cataclysm. Almer smiled sardonically, and drew the Illinois citizen to one side. "'I would give you a piece of advice,' he said in a low voice. "'It is—' "'Say, proprietor, you don't charge for advice, do you?' Sherman regarded him quizzically. "'It is this,' Almer went on, unperturbed. "'If I were you, I would not talk much about the fortifications of the rock. Even talk is—' uh, dangerous if too much indulged huh i guess you're right said sherman thoughtfully you see we don't know much about diplomacy out where i come from though that ain't stoppin any of the democrats from goin abroad in the diplomatic service as fast as brian'll take em interruption came startlingly a sergeant and three soldiers with guns swung through the open doors from waterport street Gun-butts struck the floor with a heavy thud. The sergeant stepped forward and saluted Almer with a businesslike sweep of hand to visor. "'See here, landlord,' the sergeant spoke up briskly. "'Fritz, the barber, lives here, does he not?' Almer nodded. "'We want him. Find him in the barber-shop, eh?' The sergeant turned and gave directions to the guard. They tramped through a swinging door by the side of the desk, while the Shermans, parents and daughter alike, looked on with round eyes. In less than a minute the men in khaki returned, escorting a quaking man in white jacket. The barber, greatly flustered, protested in English strongly reminiscent of his fatherland. "'Orders to take you, Fritz,' the sergeant explained, not unkindly. "'But I have done nothing!' the barber cried. "'For ten years I have shaved you. You know I am a harmless old German.' The sergeant shrugged. I fancy they think you are working for the Wilhelmstrasse, Fritz, and they want to have you where they can keep their eyes on you. Sorry, you know. 
the free-born instincts of henry j sherman would not be downed longer he had witnessed the little tragedy of the german barber with growing ire and now he stepped up to the sergeant truculently seems to me you're not giving fritz here a square deal if you want to know what i think he blustered now in my country the sergeant turned on him sharply who are you and what are you doing in jib he snapped a moan from mrs sherman who threw herself in her daughter's arms kitty your father's gone and got himself arrested again who am i sherman echoed with dignity my name young fellow is henry j sherman and i live in kewanee illinois i am an american citizen and you can't your passports quick the sergeant held out his hand imperiously oh that's all right young fellow i've got em all right kewanee's leading light began to fumble in the spacious breast pocket of his long-tailed coat as he groped through a packet of papers and letters he kept up a running fire of comment and exposition had em this afternoon all right here no that's my letter of credit it would buy main street at home but i can't get a ham sandwich on it here this is no that's my only son's little girl emmeline taken the day she was four years old fancy little girl eh now that's funny i can't here's that list of gewgaws i was to buy for my partner in the empire mills flour and buckwheat guess he'll have to whistle for em now don't get impatient young fellow this land's sake mother that letter you gave me to mail in algecirus ah here you are all proper and scientific enough as passports go i guess the sergeant whisked the heavily creased document from sherman's hand scanned it hastily and gave it back without a word the outraged american tucked up his chin and gave the sergeant glare for glare if you ever come to kewanee young fellow he snorted i'll be happy to show you our new jail close in march commanded the sergeant the guard surrounded the hapless barber and wheeled through the door their guns hedging his white jacket about inexorably sherman's hands spread his coat-tails wide apart and he rocked back and forth on heels and toes his eyes smouldering come on father kitty had slipped her hand through her dad's arm and was imparting direct strategy in a low voice we'll take mother down the street to look at the shops and make her forget our troubles they've got some wonderful moroccan bazaars in town baedeker says so shops did you say mrs sherman perked up at once forgetting her grief under the superior lure yes mother come on let's go down and look em over sherman's good humour was quite restored he pinched kitty's arm in compliment for her guile maybe they'll let us look at their stuff without charging anything but we couldn't buy a postage stamp remember they sailed out into the crowded street and lost themselves amid the scourings of Africa and South Europe. Almer was alone in the office. The proprietor fidgeted. He walked to the door and looked down the street in the direction of the quays. He pulled his watch from his pocket and compared it with the blue face of the Dutch clock on the wall. His pudgy hands clasped and unclasped themselves behind his back nervously an arab hotel porter and runner at the docks came swinging through the front door with a small steamer trunk on his shoulders and almer started forward expectantly
behind the porter came a tall well-knit man dressed in quiet travelling suit the captain woodhouse who had sailed from alexandria as a passenger aboard the princess mary he paused for an instant as his eyes met those of the proprietor almer bowed and hastened behind the desk woodhouse stepped up to the register and scanned it casually a room sir almer held out a pen invitingly for the night yes woodhouse answered shortly and he signed the register almer's eyes followed the strokes of the pen eagerly ah from egypt captain you were aboard the princess mary then from alexandria yes show me my room please beastly tired the arab porter darted forward and woodhouse was turning to follow him when he nearly collided with a man just entering the door it was mr billy capper both recoiled as their eyes met just the faintest flicker of surprise instantly suppressed tightened the muscles of the captain's jaws he murmured a beg pardon and started to pass capper deliberately set himself in the other's path and with a wry smile held out his hand captain woodhouse i believe capper put a tang of sarcasm corroding as acid into the words he was still smiling the other man drew back and eyed him coldly i do not know you some mistake woodhouse said almer was moving around from behind the desk with the soft tread of a cat his eyes fixed on the hard-bitten face of capper ha don't recognize the second cabin passengers aboard the princess mary eh capper sneered little bit discriminating that way eh well my name's capper mr william capper never heard the name in alexandria what you are drunk stand aside woodhouse spoke quietly his face was very white and strained almer launched himself suddenly between the two and laid his hands roughly on capper's thin shoulders out you go he choked in a thick guttural i'll have no loafer insulting guests in my house oh you won't won't you but supposing i want to take a room here pay you good english gold for it you'll sing a different tune then before i throw you out kindly leave my place by a quick turn almer had capper facing the door his grip was iron the smaller man tried to walk to the door with dignity there he paused and looked back over his shoulder remember captain woodhouse he called back remember the name against the time we'll meet again capper mr william capper capper disappeared almer came back to begin profuse apologies to his guest woodhouse was coolly lighting a cigarette their eyes met end of chapter seven